Okay, yeah, now I think I'm ready. One of the things I think we're going to see uh, over the, I call it a, a near term, is uh, a spike in births. <laughs> well, yeah, not not necessarily the near term because it, it requires a little bit of preparation. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, long term, near term, however you want to. Uh, but what's uh, what's nine months? Uh, it's it, now middle. Basically, of March. we're talking, you know, the Christmas holidays. We're going to see an explosion, if you will, of uh, births. Yeah. I was just saying, are you, make, are you making some sort of announcement? Have you no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just thinking. You know, we're we're everybody. The, the habit right now is to think about consequences. Uh, and there you uh, go. That's going to be one of them. That's going to be one of but them. But has absolutely nothing to do with aviation. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever we can do to increase the pilot population is a good thing. Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it. Um, there. Um, you know, the other way to look at it is maybe three old white guys is not the best, um, uh, I don't know, mascot for uh, that. Hey, you know, we've done so good up until now. Probably yeah. not. Yeah, okay. right. Anyways, David, yeah. you're awful quiet. Uh, just listening to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. All right. Well, dig that hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, anyway. living, we're living in interesting times. Uh, yes. To, to give people a little bit of context here, especially if you're perhaps not listening to this episode, uh, uh, you know, soon after we record it. Um, yeah, we are, are in the midst of a very, very interesting time in the world, not just in the United States. Um, we're, we're about two to three weeks into, and, and that's a slippery number because it's hard to figure out when day zero was. But let's call it two to three weeks into the so-called COVID-19 coronavirus conflict here in the U.S. anyways, longer um, in other parts of the world. Um, and uh, we decided to kind of break out of the normal flow of episodes here on Uncontrolled Airspace and do a little bit of a special episode, just kind of pop up and do one that that uh, maybe um, provided a little bit of information about what's going on and maybe just kind of gave you a little respite from the, the craziness. Um, a lot of people in the U.S. and around the world are all kind of locked down right now. Uh, sheltering at home is, a, is the good euphemism I'm hearing. And, and uh, practicing social distancing. Social distancing, all right, you know. But uh, see, Jeb's been doing both those things for. I've been I, I've been practicing social distancing long before it became popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a bit of a hermit. You you live in an airport community. You don't even live close to the runway, let alone the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, uh. So. Uh, yeah, so that's where we are right now, just to give you some context here. But uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the craziness, and we'll talk a little bit about airplanes, which is kind of the well, same thing. Kind of maybe. why we're here. Yeah, right, yeah. So uh, uh, completely unrelated to the craziness, um, or at least that craziness, these airplanes, these Soviet airplanes, these pictures, this is kind of cool, Jeb. Yeah. Um, um, you, you posted, and, and folks, we're going to talk about pictures. I'm going to try and describe them for you, I, I, I promise. Um, this is a, a picture, a photo montage, if you will, uh, on uh, on a website called hushkit.net, which I'd never heard of before. Jeb, is this something you look at on a regular basis? I've, I don't look at it on a regular basis. It's been around for some time. Yeah, it subtitles um, itself the Alternative Aviation Magazine. Um, yeah. And which, so, of, of, of which we have several, I would say. Yeah, I know, right, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Hashkat's been around a while. This is this is simply a photo essay. Uh, somebody or somebody's um, had, had put together a collection of um, images from various Russian-slash-Soviet um, outdoor museums, outdoor storage areas mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. of that sort. Um and a lot of interesting aircraft, um, some that uh, uh, have you know uh, we've we've heard of, we've seen before. Um, uh, some of them, uh, perhaps not. Some interesting helicopters, um, failed uh, research craft, um, things of this sort, and it's just completely interesting to me. Uh, it is. It is kind of interesting. It's. Uh, let's see if there's anything that jump out here at me. Um, well, the space plane, of course, is a whole different, almost a different category. Uh-huh. But uh, um, there's a what do they call it? The MiG 105 is apparently its number, uh-huh. uh, and it's. Uh, it's uh, well, we only have one shot. We have two shots, but the same shot repeated yeah. twice here, um, looking straight at, down the nose of this thing. Um, looks like it's a little, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a two seater. Space a, shuttle. Yeah, exactly. It's a baby space shuttle. 
Yeah. With skids and no wheels. Yeah, yeah no wheels. Out. Well, you know, and the Russians have always been notorious for the way they decide to bring spacecraft back to Earth, if you ask me, anyways. No, notorious? Notorious, sure. Yeah, that's what that's the word I'm going with. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, skids. Um, and, uh, you know, we're looking right straight down the nose, so the, the heat shield, I presume the heat shield, is kind of pro- prominent uh, in this picture. Stubby little wings, but I guess it doesn't need an awful lot of wings. Um and uh, yeah, it's uh, it says the MiG one hundred five was an experimental space plane built in support of the Spiral program, whatever that was. I would imagine that's some sort of Russian space program. I guess Google is your friend. Yeah, I know. Did you Google it already? I have not. Okay. Uh, what else is interesting here? The um, the Bear bomber I thought was interesting. So uh-huh. the the, the uh, Bear B, B, Bear like an uh, Bear B E A R. The TU-95 is the number it gives it here. Um, that aircraft is still in service, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that aircraft, or, or you know, a, a representative of that uh, was, uh, I think there actually two flights of two had had uh, penetrated the uh, Alaskan Adas. Uh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, they, every now and then they get a little, uh, they get a little feisty. They were, they were greeted. Um, yes, appropriately yeah, yeah. Um, um the thing i found interesting about first of all when i was just kind of first skimming these pictures i looked at it and i thought oh connie that's a constellation clone all right and maybe it is but because uh, it has that kind of thin long thin look to it um and so uh, the other thing though it's notable about it is uh first of all it's propeller driven are they still I'm not propeller- seeing a constellation clone in here you're not i'm not seeing the picture of the bear that's a picture of the TU ninety five. Oh, okay, the, the long thin fuselage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. get that. I get that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And counter, counter it's a turboprop. Yeah. Four four engines with uh counter rotating props on each engine. Yeah. It had to be a hell of a gearbox to design. Uh-huh. Holy moly. Well, but now here's my question. Um, is it four engines or eight engines? It's four engines. It, it, it's certainly four nacelles. Sometimes it's, they do weird gear shaft thing, you know, drive shaft things, yeah. to drive each prop with a different motor. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you Google it this time. I'll, I'll Google okay, that one. But right. it's four engines, uh, eight propellers. Yeah, eight thanks, propellers. Thanks to the counter rotating. The other, an, another signature feature of the of the TU ninety five, is it's loud. Is it really? Yeah, I've I've seen where. Um, you know, like Navy or Air Force pilots uh, escorting bears in mm-hmm. the eighties over the noise of their own aircraft can hear really the the prop noise from the bears. If nothing, yeah, the prop noise. If nothing else, I would imagine these counter rotating coaxial yeah. oh, props are yeah. like making crazy turbulence oh, noise. Exactly, exactly. Uh, That's exactly what's going on. Is that? A, a disproven technology, the whole idea of having coaxial uh, uh, counter-rotating propellers. Seems to work well for the Bears. The Bears, the TU-95, and there was a civilian uh, airliner version of the same basic airframe. That's um, what Khrushchev flew to the U.S. back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the airplane's been in service 60-plus, 70-plus yeah, years. So. I mean, it's, it's very much their B-52. Um, and, in, uh, in, well, yeah, kind of, sort of. Um, in terms of eras, I'm not necessarily talking about the technology. But, yeah, yeah. And it has the same mission, right? It's a tr- strategic bomber, right? I would not want to suggest that I know much about the, oh, okay. the mission. The That's mission what I've always understood. David, what are you, what's your understanding about the Bear, the TU-95 Bear? What's its primary oh, mission? It was very much the uh, counterpart to the B-52. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, threw their, it flew their strategic uh, response patrols like our B-52s flew, you know, the uh, patrols when we had Aircraft in the uh, air, ready to drop nukes somewhere, twenty four seven, three sixty five. And if you go back through photo archives from uh, the Air Force, you'll see more than a few there of American and NATO aircraft encountering the uh, the bear right on the edge of our airspace, right, loitering around out there. That's uh, been known to fly low over our. Navy fleet. And yeah. Well, as Jeff said, it was yeah, taking, like, taking pictures. 
Yeah, like Jeb said, just recently one of them busted the eight is up in, or, or nearly. Did they actually bust it or nearly busted? Well, there's keep in mind the eight is is, is international airspace. It's just yeah. something we designate saying, hey, you know, we'll be looking at you if you're in this airspace. It's not mm-hmm. the same as penetrating our our uh, got um, it. Okay, uh, territorial airspace. Okay, all right. Another uh, notable uh, aircraft picture here is the uh, their uh, their uh, supersonic jetliner. Um, Entry, yeah, if you will, T one forty four. T say it again. Just a T four, right? T T U one forty four. I thought. It oh, okay, was. you know what's interesting. I have. I'm happening to be looking at the very first picture in the sequence, which is labeled a T four and is described as their Mach three bomber. Um, so, and I know later on in the sequence here, there's another picture of a similar. Let me find there's, that one here. A picture of a TU-144 in Aeroflot colors. Um, I don't know yeah. uh, how it, far down. It, it, isn't that what broke up over Paris? Yes. Wait, which the, the TU-144 which broke up over? was the was the one that crashed in Paris? Yeah. It was leaving the Paris Air Show. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, doing uh, doing some uh, what would you call them? Uh, display passes over the city and started to climb out and came apart. Right. But wait a minute. Didn't didn't the Concorde also crash over Paris? Yeah, but that was in regular operations. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay. That was, That's was, yeah. that, that was a takeoff accident. Uh, Fod got in the engine or popped the um, wing or something like that. There was a puncture. The One of the fuel tanks was punctured. Yeah in such a fashion that it fed um, the engines with raw fuel and it, things went downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. But the, this whole collection reminds me of going to the uh, to the boneyard down in uh, Arizona, mm-hmm. Dave, Davis Month, and then walking uh-huh. around through all of our relics there. I've many of them, yeah. many of many of them on stands on display so that the satellites could see that we'd deactivated them and cut them into pieces. Right, right. That was a big part of the, uh, I forget what they called that that treaty, but yeah. They, Start. Uh, yeah. Um, you actually got to go to one of those things and walk around, huh? That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, the best I've ever been able to do is to drive by some that you can see from public, which is not very many. Um, the, there was one at uh, at Mojave that I used to drive by once, or, once a year or so. But uh, uh, Speaking of which, those... Boneyards are going to get uh, busier in coming months, I think. How's that? I think there's going to be a lot of aircraft parked. Well, oh, yeah. I mean, just in terms of, yeah, right. Not necessarily intended to be permanently retired, but... Uh, well, that depends. I mean... Um, we some of them are, after, some of them are mothballed. Yeah, we saw yeah. this after 9-11 where, you know, basically the 727s and the older DC-9s just got mothballed and... and uh, uh, problem being recycled. We also send that. we also send airplanes there yeah. to be salvaged. Exactly. That is that particular airframe is coming out of service, and they will cannibalize it. Yeah. To have parts for other ones that are still in service but not being produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fascinating place to walk around. I bet. And three things that you need to walk, watch for when you're walking around there. Yeah. Ogling all these airplanes through the viewfinder of your camera. Right. Uh, rattlesnakes. Yeah, okay. I would be uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, rabbits, which they are... Because uh, we've all seen Monty Python. You've got to watch out for them rabbits. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they're, they're the, the kind of rabbits that we don't see back here in the eastern U.S., uh, uh, and uh, and then there's the scorpions. Oh yeah, okay. So uh, it's it's a good place to walk around with high boots and maybe your uh, pants legs tucked into the top of the boots and laced up so that nothing can crawl up there without you noticing it. Yeah, this is what. Yeah, I totally agree. I you know I watch a lot of YouTube videos about car modification and and and, and they spend a lot of time digging around in junkyards and there's a lot of big car junkyards like out in the in the desert and uh, i always wonder you know you're going to pop open the door and there's going to be a couple of snakes in the passenger seat and 
and I'm one of those people who has a real problem with snakes, so it's especially troubling to me. But uh, what do snakes ever do to you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, and let's keep it that way. That's exactly. That's it. Uh, uh, I'm now looking at the uh, TU-144 picture, um, and it looks much sleeker than the one that I was uh, uh, observing earlier. The TU picture of the TU-144 the, the, the TU that's pictured has its nose up in the cruise configuration um, as opposed to the drooped-down landing configuration. Um, and I don't know if the 144 is the same as the military version, the, I believe, what was it, the 4. But it's interesting because when the nose is drooped down into the landing configuration, I mean, not only does it naturally have more drag because the nose is down, but they kind of had this flat windshield on the front. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. just like basically flat, you know, just straight into the wind, so to speak, into the into the airflow. And, uh, I mean, holy moly, the drag must pick up when they... Uh, when they lower that nose, yeah, but they need to see. Well, yeah, and that's that's something that they can't do when the nose is up. I understand the reason. Not a windshield there for them to look through like there is on the Concorde. They have to use a periscope. I'll see your periscope and raise you two periscope. Hey, it worked for Lindbergh. Why not for uh, you know? Uh, yeah, it did work for Lindbergh. Yeah. So, anyways, a lot of interesting pictures here. Any of these that jump out at you guys? That you want to talk about? I don't know. Um, I mean, we've we've kind of exhausted a lot of it already. Yeah, uh, those, those there, are the ones that jumped out at me. There's definitely some aircraft here that uh, uh, we wouldn't normally see in the U.S. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it's it's unclear. This again looks to be something of a museum, um, outdoor museum. Um, but uh, you know, the aircraft aren't really uh, <clears throat> preserved or or uh, cared for, so that you know. They've seen certainly better days, mm-hmm. uh, but still a lot of interesting, you know, and um, some of these, you know, looks like, you know, maybe something straight out of a 50s era science fiction movie. You know, they really do. Yeah. Um, which. Are, go ahead. Are the Russians. I don't know. I, I'm going to say this and you're going to go. No. Are, are, are the Russians especially good at designing airplanes in some way? They're especially good at designing airplanes that meet a specific um, set of operational requirements. Okay. Um, f- for uh, example, could, yes, you, please. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know the which um, which MIG we're at right now, or which SU, or we're, you know, is the current technology in the in the, in the front line uh, operational aircraft for for the Russians, but. I'll give you one example. <clears throat> um, they use much larger and heavier-duty, stouter landing gear designs um, because they want to maximize the ability to operate from un, uh, unfinished or, or unprepared surfaces. Um, the same jet for the U.S. military, you, know, you need 10,000 feet of, of smooth pavement. Um, not so much for some Russian jets that are competitive, um, or at least have been competitive. Um, so you know that's that's one example. Um, some of these other some of these aircraft also are designed um, not so much for. Um, um, oh, let's put it another way: uh, they're equipped to be controlled much greater, much more control. Um, operational control from ground stations, not so much um, hmm. you know okay. sending out sending out a squadron of airplanes and and keeping your fingers crossed and you know hear hear what they say when we get back. Modern warfare has of course evolved so much that um, anywhere you go in a in a in a uh, in a battle sphere, you're going to see uh, airborne radar. You're going to see other intelligence assets feeding the operational aircraft data. Um, Russians and Soviets were doing that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Surprised me. One of the things we don't see in this collection are any examples of some of uh, uh, the Soviet Union's uh, somewhat bizarre-looking uh, seaplanes yes. and hovercraft. Yes. 
that the military did. Oh, that the military did. Because I was going to say it's because this is primarily a military um, sequence. No, these, these were done for the really? military. All right. yeah. Yeah. Well, find an example and put it on the list. We'll talk about it in the future. But uh, anyways. Anyways. Uh, so anyway, that's, you know. Uh, something to while away your hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, we'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes, and uh, uh, you can take a look at all these pictures and uh, uh, send us an email or something telling us uh, which ones you find particularly interesting, or tell us your Soviet aviation aircraft stories. I'd like to hear those. On that note, welcome, folks, uh, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Uh, so that's what this is. That's what this is. It's a what is it, Jeb? What are you going to call it? Very special episode. A very special episode, that's right. Uh, and uh, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from uh, from uh, sheltering in place uh, Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where uh, it's, I mean, and everybody knows this. This is not unusual here. It's just a, a I mean, just, just, just... It, Going outdoor, I mean, I go outdoors as little as possible because it's not, it's wise for us to kind of stay away from each other, but uh, um, it's really quiet out there, man. Um, Jeb, I know you haven't been out into the world, but then you wouldn't go out anyways, so. uh, um, (laughs) That's not all, that's not necessarily true. The the quick answer is no, for the last few days, I have not left the house. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, this is like, the traffic is way down. I uh-huh. mean, car traffic is way down. Obviously, store traffic, uh, restaurants are all closed. It's, it's a weird time here in, in New Hampshire, as well as everywhere. Talking to my two good friends, uh, who are also, I believe, sheltering in place, uh, one way or the other, uh, from uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas, at least for now, the air capital of the world, things may change, uh, is Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you doing? Uh, doing okay. Doing okay. I'm- yeah. Uh, my situation is much like Jeb's, except I'm closer to a supermarket, uh, <laughs> which which is a factor. The uh, yeah, the, the the life here is dramatically different. Uh, seeing a lot more people in the park here lately. Uh huh. But that's uh, I've been told because they're not going to work; they're working from home. Uh, or they're not working. Uh, right. so we had seventeen hundred people, and Textron Aviation announced earlier this week that it was going to be laying off seventeen uh, seven thousand. I'm sorry, seven thousand yeah. seven thousand people from its uh, area workforce uh, due to the slowdown from this uh, damned virus. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully a lot of these will be temporary. Um, unfortunately, they won't all be temporary. But uh, um, anyways, well, I'm glad you're doing well. Yeah, and Charlotte as well, I take it, right? She's getting her walks. and uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or rather, Charlotte's taking you for your walks, I should probably say. Yeah, and with the exception of this morning, uh, the last week or so has been a mix of uh, uh, moderate temperatures and moisture or just moderate temperatures. But... Uh, Good after you. yeah go ahead yeah I'm, I'm, after after getting into the upper 70s yesterday well it was in the 60s when we got up yesterday morning thursday morning this morning we get up and it's 31 so i'm not sure what to expect out of the I rest know. of the day I know. It, see but i'm sorry folks we couldn't it's do hard it. it's hard to find a bar in this town that's open well yeah um Sorry, folks, we couldn't do it. We tried. We agreed in advance we were going to try not to talk about weather, but we did. And uh, there we go. All right. The other person speaking of weather is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is uh, Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. It's <coughs> it's about 72 inside and outside. Ah, uh, see? Okay. All right. So, And uh, uh, it's supposed to be 68 here today, but it's raining. So, anyways. <coughs> um, what's going on here? Uh... uh See, the interesting thing, Jeb, is that you talk about you being um, already a pioneer in the hermit thing, um, but I, I kind of admire, so so you are, you know, kind of, I mean, we're all kind of hanging out at home, and we're all single guys, so there's no, I don't believe there's anybody in our lives that way right now, um, but Jeb, okay. you can okay. go outdoors. We, we could cut all of that out. Yeah, okay. A later, you later are point. Jeb. You are a uh, you. You have you. Although you live by your, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, like you do, um, you have a large outdoor component. Let's call it that to yeah. to your life. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can walk down to your hangar and you can work on a motorcycle and you uh-huh. could, you know, that kind of thing. You can sit on the lanai, sit next to the pool. Right, right. Um, David, you live next to a park. You're getting out to go see the dog and you walk outdoors every day just to go to your little home office. Um, 
um, one of the things that I'm finding trying is that is that I live in an apartment in the city that has no porch, and so basically I have very little outdoor component to my world, anyways. And uh, and now I'm really indoors all the time. So I don't yeah, know. no, I, I grok that. I, Boo-hoo! Uh, my life is so terrible. Well, not really. I'm doing fine um, compared to some people who are really really suffering. I'm doing just fine. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see now. Back to uh, podcast stuff here, or aviation podcast stuff here. Uh, we talked, hmm, you know what? I don't know if I can talk about this, actually. So here's an item I was going to put on the list because it's a follow-up. No, no, obviously we did. Okay, see, sorry, thinking out loud. Um, you'd think that there was planning involved in this podcast. For years, we've led you to believe there's planning. Why obviously, would today be different from I know, any other? I know, all right. I was going to say, so... Listeners should know that one of the weirdnesses here is that we actually have another regular episode already in the can that has not been posted yet, all right? Um, and it will get posted after, because this, this one will probably go out very fast. Um, and then there's another one that will come out a little bit later that was recorded earlier, all right? And I have this follow-up on the list. Let me just finish this rambling explanation. This I have this follow-up item on the list um, that it suddenly occurred to me, maybe that's something we talked about in the episode that hasn't posted yet, but then I realized that couldn't, this guy couldn't have sent us an email if we had talked about it in an episode that hasn't posted yet. Yeah. So it's, it's a shame we don't have anybody that controls how we release episodes. <laughs> it's true, but we don't. It's been true for 13, 14, whatever it's been years. Um, so, okay. Now, I don't know whether they heard all that, but they probably did because I don't really want to work too hard on this today. <laughs> we heard from listener on Ogwayman. You know what? Hang on. Where'd it go here? Because I, I see. I, I actually asked him and he told me he pronounced his name Andres. Andres. Oh, okay. okay. Andres, uh, Andres C., listener Andres C., um, heard us talking about, uh, uh, I, apparently in an episode that's been public, we talked about the uh, the uh, uh, airport, airport in the middle of nowhere in southern Florida. Um, right. Dade right. Collier Training Transition right. Airstrip. TNT. Right? The airport, airport that was once upon a time going to be this South Florida super airliner airport and just ended up being one runway. Um, so yeah, he wrote to us. Um, and he said, uh, hi, Jack and UCAP team. He said, first of all, thanks so much for the podcast. I really look forward to episode, every episode. I don't know why, but you're very, <laughs> you're very welcome. You're very yes, welcome. Yes. Uh, he then writes, I, I wanted to write in briefly regarding uh, KTNT, uh, which is the code for this uh, airport. Uh, I figured you and the team might want to hear from I hear a pyrep, he said, from a local as to the relevance of TNT to our flying community. He writes, uh, the Dade Collier Training and Transition Airstrip is well known to most pilots that have trained in the area. Anyone that learned to fly out of Tamiani, Opalaka, North Perry, Homestead, or Naples airports probably spent a good bit of time there and logged a bunch of takeoffs and landings. He says uh, it's notable uh, as a great runway to work on takeoffs and landing technique and emergency procedures. He says you can do a full-stop landing and takeoff out of that runway with no need to uh, taxi around or taxi back um, and, uh, and with very little other traffic. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing now, other traffic that could cause issues. Um, he says it's also often used to shoot approaches for IFR currency. Uh, and then he, he, he writes, perhaps most memorably for me, TNT is the airport most of my private pilot license checkride pattern work was completed. And uh, best regards, Andres. Um, and, and then a little follow-up here, because I, 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 I wrote back to him and thanked him for his feedback and then said, can you confirm that there are no... Because we talked about thinking that there was like no services available. It was just a, a runway and a ramp. Right. All right. right. Um, can you confirm, I asked him, can you confirm that there are no services available on the field, not even a porta potty All right. And he wrote back... He said, actually, it is open from 8.30 to 5.30 p.m. daily. He says, there's a small office that is attended, and they monitor CTAF frequency when the facility is open. He says, I don't know if anyone has ever gone. He said, I don't know if anyone, I'm sure this is an exaggeration. He says, I don't know if anyone has ever gone into the office. Um, it's a training facility, not a place to visit. Um, but he says, if you have a bio need, I'm guessing they will let you in. And so, uh, so crazy there's actually a working CTAF. So you, you can get advisories and, uh, um, and uh, say hi to somebody. And so we were wondering whether it'd be anybody there to sign your logbook. Apparently there is. I wonder how much that job pays. I, yeah, well, I, yeah, okay. I don't know. I, I, you know, you talk about being well shelter in place. Maybe that's yeah. you know, since since you like that idea, maybe this would be a good job for you. Yeah, that would be your 
you could. We need to find David. We need to apparently we need if to it, find Jeb uh, a good retirement, you know, career. If we could, if we could pull some fiber or optic cable there, you know, and and uh, that's make true. Sure, you know, that's true. It would put you back into the old days when you had no internet. That would, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and I've landed at this place. You have, yeah. Was, Did you uh, mention that the other day? I don't think you mentioned that when we talked about it the other day. Go ahead. No, what was it like? Uh, it, there were actually two other aircraft coming, it, going in and out of it when I was there. I was in Florida to uh, fly an airplane for a magazine article. And uh, we came out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, and we were looking for some empty airspace, uh, free from traffic and near a runway so I could get a feel for doing some approaches. And the uh, demo pilot suggested this. And I was expecting, he said, you know, it's out, out kind of out in the swamp. It's over near a lake. It's out there by itself. And uh, there's almost never anybody there. So we headed over in that direction. And I'm straining to find you know, what I expect to be a little strip when the guy pipes in and says, oh, yeah, we'll have some fun there. We could do three takeoffs and landings without ever turning around. Yeah. Why? What? What? How do you do that? Well, the runway's over 10,000 feet long. Okay. Yeah. And we did. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I, I've, I've mentioned this before. I, I, I used to occasionally visit um, a, a retired military base in, in Central California. Um, Mather. It used to be Mather Air Force Base or Mather field and uh yeah it had like 11 or 12 10 10 11 thousand foot runway and uh and and me being the dutiful young 152 you know new young 152 pilot i taxied all the way up to the very beginning of that runway because you don't want to leave any runway behind you all right and <laughs> uh, and uh, i taxied into position and i started my takeoff roll and i took off and i climbed and i climbed and i climbed and and no exaggeration i reached pattern altitude before i reached the far end of the runway um, so, uh, yeah, not long. hard to do when you got enough runway. Yeah. Yeah. Long, long but, runway. Uh, but to give you, give you some perspective on how far away this thing is from this air, this strip is from civilization. Uh, the air nav list, of, uh, uh, for the airport has some, uh, nearby airports with instrument approaches procedures. Miami Executive Airport, 28 nautical southeast. Miami Homestead General Aviation Airport, 20 nautical miles southeast. Miami International, 33 nautical miles east. Mm-hmm. Opelika Executive Airport, 34 miles east. Yeah. And Homestead uh, Air Reserve Base, 36 nautical miles southeast. Baby, you're out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's but it's... Okay, but it's airplanes. Everything's close, right? Well, I'm thinking if you if you decide to land and get out and stretch your legs, uh, don't get off the pavement because there'd be big crushing snakes in that swamp. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that before too. You are you clearly you have a snake thing to it. This is maybe that's this is the snake episode. Um, I don't know what that means exactly. Well, uh, these snakes are these snakes are an invasive species that. Eat alligators. I, I understand. Yes, I know. Snakes. I've seen those pictures. It had to be snakes. It had to be snakes. It had to be snakes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Andrus, for uh, for yes. filling us in. We appreciate that. That's that's very interesting. And uh, it just re re uh, somethings. It re re renews, renews, reaffirms, re. There's a word there someplace. My design, <laughs> re- my my reinforces. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm thanking myself for coming up with it. Reinforces my desire for us to go there, maybe to do an episode from the yes. ramp at, at uh, TNT. Um, next. Oh, so inside baseball here, I just I, I, I have an urge to say, tell this story. Um, so in preparing for this very special episode of Uncontrolled Airspace, um, I wanted... I, and, and listeners actually listening to this will actually know how I decide what I decided to do about this because I'm now undecided. Um, but in planning for this very special episode, I was going to have it be outside of the normal numbering scheme that we've been using. Um, and I thought that it would be interesting to kind of jump ahead and call this episode UCAP 1001. All right. Um, and, uh, 
And so I started to set up all our little normal um, little tools that we use here this morning, and I discovered that uh, we have a UCAP 1K bug, as, as it turns out. Um, it's funny, I actually remember back when we recorded episode 100, long time ago, right? Episode 100, I remember crowing a little bit about the fact that I had had, what at the time was the foresight to start our numbering with three digits. So like, for example, from the very beginning, episode one was episode 001 and 002 and so forth. And therefore, when we changed from 99 to 100, we didn't have a problem because it was already anticipating three-digit numbers. Well, it turns out that I hard-coded three-digit numbers because when I tried to name this episode 1001, um, it, for example, our, our, our so-called list here didn't like it at all. All right, uh, and uh, and I was going, oh man, okay. And then I got to thinking about some of the other little mechanisms that we have in place for the way the podcasts work, and I'm thinking, oh man, going to four-digit episode numbers might actually be a, a little bit more work than I was anticipating. We're going to have so, to we're going to have to send you to the two bobs. The the two bobs. The two bobs. Is that a, uh, okay? It's, a, it's one of the jokes that's going to come to me when I'm editing the podcast. Exactly, <laughs> and, and, to, and and probably to many of our listeners also. Okay, but the whole the whole Y two K one K bug thing. Yeah, you'll get it eventually. Okay, all right. Okay, um, yeah. This being Y one K, it does present some interesting uh, possibilities. Yes. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. But uh, and I may have just punted and called it four ninety six, but I don't know. Yeah, um, um, we'll see what happens. Tools. Well, I, I forget where I got this, but I think I probably came across a story about tool bags in your ear. What's the link go to here? Let's see what the link says. Goes to General Aviation it's News. A tool of the trade. Oh, so this is a. Uh, um, uh, uh, GA News had a story a while back, way back in the middle of February, um, touting um, using a, carrying a Leatherman um, a multi-tool um, as being useful in the airplane, and, and it certainly would be. Um, but that got me to thinking about just generally carrying tools with you on the aircraft. So as a rental pilot, I carry very few tools. Um, I do, in fact, carry, I guess it's a tool, I carry one of the little sampling tube things, um, and, uh, and that sampling, you know, fuel sampling, I mean. Um, and I, I carry one of the little skinny test tube like ones um, that is actually not useful in the airplanes I fly right now. But uh, um, And it has a, a big honking Phillips head screwdriver on the end of it, which is useful if I ever needed to open the cowling um, um, latches. But uh, that's, pre- I mean, other than things like my headsets, which is not the kind of tools I'm talking about here, that's pretty much the extent of the tools that I carry. I'm wondering, though, if those of you who own or have owned your own airplanes, did you carry, do you carry, Jeb, do, is there a tool bag in the, in the, uh, yeah, there is, there's, um, just some basic stuff, um, Phillips screwdriver, some, some wrenches, um, that kind of thing, um, quart of oil, uh, there's, I've got a pair of pliers or a Leatherman tool up in the glove box and, and like that. But over time, the most useful thing that I have found to carry mm-hmm. for, you know, problems, uh, when you're away from home yeah, is, oh, a li- yeah. is a live credit card. A live credit card. I suddenly realized that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, I, you know, because I mean, of course, there's a multi, multiple levels of, of whatever here. Yeah, I mean, um, first okay, of all, I, there's I, things that you're not allowed to repair on, yeah, you know, yeah. things that maybe you shouldn't, you should think twice about trying to repair in the field. Yeah. And uh, you're right. A credit card where you can just call it, call a mechanic is, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, preferably, you know, you don't have to go far for that mechanic. Hopefully, um, you know, unless you land at TNT. Unless you land at TNT, that's a whole other bag of tricks that you need to pull out. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, a quart of oil, uh, basic screw, you know, uh, so many of our listeners, you know, might have been around long enough to remember by saying that one of the most dangerous things in general aviation is a private pilot with a number two screwdriver, a number two <laughs> Phillips screwdriver. Yeah. Um, and that's still the case. Yeah. Uh, but there are times when they come in handy. A flat blade also can come in handy, mm-hmm. um, especially on a cold, dark ramp at night when you can't get the tab on the fuel cap open 
to look inside and make sure there's <laughs> fuel in there. Uh, you can use a Phillips, but a flat blade is just you know is the way to go. Is, yeah. is the way to go. Yeah, that's what the David profe- sounded like you were trying. That's to what jump the professionals use. Yeah, yeah. David, sounds like you were trying to jump in here. What? What? Did you carry a tool bag or or any sort of tools? Um, in the oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. And Comanche? They, Eric, Eric Comanche had a. Uh, well, first off, I had a a uh, giant economy size flight bag that my uh, father-in-law gave me for uh, Christmas one year. Uh, he he uh, ponied up for that when uh, when Annie was talking about all the extra paperwork I started carrying after I got my instrument rating, and she she showed Bill my my, my late father-in-law a couple of a uh, couple of examples of the. Uh, Approach plates booklets for different parts of the country. So he got me a bag big enough to hold all of it. I never left home without the whole mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. And in one of the pockets was a, uh, one of the end pockets, I had a, a, a Leatherman, a tool uh, for sampling fuel. Uh, I had a uh, couple of replacement light bulbs for the post lights, uh, a... Uh, can opener in case I came across a place that had oil in old-fashioned cans, uh, a funnel, uh, a circuit tester, uh, and something else. Oh, yeah, a, a, a little fold-up kit that holds a bottle of scotch, two shot glasses, and two cigars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, in case I, I, just in case I got stranded somewhere, I didn't uh, want to be without. A man with priorities. I like it. Okay. I, I used to, but, do you have any idea that that story that you you were uh, you keyed this on uh, yeah. about the, the out of GA News? Yeah. So there's a forty million dollar airplane saved by a seventy nine ninety five tool. Yeah. Oh, is that what the story? I, it's been a while since I read this story. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I looked up Leatherman multi tools for real life Leatherman dot com. Holy. Cow, there's a lot of different variations. Oh, yeah, there sure are. Uh, yeah. Some of them on a rather expensive side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some I mean, Rolex there's the Leatherman watches, brand yeah. ones, and then there's the, the I don't want to call them knockoffs, knockoffs because some of them are very, very good. In my day job, these things are very, very handy. We all carry a, a multi-tool of some sort. And, uh, um, but, the, you know, and then, of course, there are some that are, that are you know, just kind of knockoffs. Um, well, but, according to an outfit called the SlipperyBrick.com, the most expensive Leatherman ever cost forty k, forty thousand dollars. Yeah. All right, you're uh, going to have to send us a link to either the story or or the actual product description. That's, can, I want to know you what can a forty thousand. You can buy 000. two good used one seventy twos for forty thousand dollars. I know. See, so you have a spare. It's cheaper than well. Than, it's cheaper than buying one of the forty thousand uh, dollar Leathermans if you if one of them breaks. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Well, I, think, I think if you're trying to save a forty million dollar jet, it at least warrants a forty thousand dollar Leatherman. Okay, I guess so. I guess with so. The, with the Gulfstream logo on it, of course. Yeah. 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 There you go. There you go. So, what do you do? What do you do when you haven't been allowed to go flying for a long period of time? Um, any, any, you know, I mean, in a way, this is a rusty pilot question. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Um, well, but. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of thoughts. First of all... Because there's a lot of us... I mean, of course, the, the context here is that a lot of us are, um, are going to return to flight after, uh, after being off for a while. Um, and, and, and not only just your piloting skills, but there are going to be, you know, sanitation questions and, and, and all that kind of good stuff, too. So, I'm sorry, Jeb, go ahead. What was your no, thought? No, I, I, don't, I don't know too much about the sanitation side of things. I mean, uh, if, if I were renting... Um, aircraft, and, and you know, now may be a pretty good time to go you know, talk to your FBO and and uh, or your your club or or, or, or whatever about um, how they're handling things. They may not be handling. They, they may say, "Go away, come back," and you know, in December or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, may indeed have some protocols in place. I uh, one of the local uh, uh, FBO sent out a. Uh, an email here in the last few days noting that they were still open for business. They had plenty of hand sanitizer. Um, they had their own protocols in place and, and, and wanted you to know what they were, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also probably a lot out there. You know, I happen to 
happen to have a few friends in the airline business. And uh, mm. uh, it's not at all clear what, um, if any, additional steps are being taken for pilots in the cockpits. You know, it's it's kind of, um, we, we, we talked about this, I think, in the last episode about uh, um, liquids in the cockpit and how, uh, there was an in-flight. There've been some in-flight shutdowns of, of the A350 uh, because liquids got spilled in the cockpit. You may not be wanting to use a a wet uh, antiseptic wipe to wipe down uh, an airliner cockpit for right. that very same reason. Now that you know brings up a lot of other little questions, such as you know what's going to happen with the pilot community over the neck over the near term. But that's a little bit beyond our scope here. Um, let's say you you're you're sheltering at home. You can't fly. You don't want to fly. You don't want to get out to an FBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you do? Um, you can study, and uh, um, you may have a hankering to uh, get another certificate. You may want to get your instrument rating. Um, now's a great time to spend some time. Uh, studying for the written exams that mm-hmm. you, that you want yeah. to take that you want to pass, if, even if you don't want to uh, uh, add another rating or another certificate, um, <clears throat> there's all kinds of uh, material out there, uh, free and/or low cost, that will help you keep your hand in. Um, get a good flight sim. Get a get a control stick for it. Uh, if you want to try to keep your hand in, you're going to find that a, uh, a PC-based or Mac-based flight sim is going to be twitchier uh, than the real thing. But that's okay because you will uh, you, you'll improve your skills just by playing some games on, on your computer. Um, watch this space. We might have some other tips. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Dave yeah. has, has a, a good stuff yeah. too. David, what are your thoughts on uh, returning to flight after uh, being off for a while and forced off? Uh, you know, I, I think returning to flight from this particular anomaly in our life uh, shouldn't be that different than returning to flight after any other layoff uh, and, and should be geared appropriately for how how long you've been down and what, what kind of flying you do. Uh, if you haven't flown for... A few weeks, and you're an instrument-rated pilot. You, uh, I'd suggest you get a, a safety pilot to go along with you, and uh, go out and do some approaches in the blind. Uh, but start with the basics. If you've been away for a while, you know, taxi, takeoff, landing, touch and goes, around the patch. Uh, you know, a 50-mile cross country to refamiliarize yourself with the avionics and the airplane. And then anything specific to your ratings. If you're flying a twin, you're going to want to do some stuff that prepares you for flying a twin with the, yeah. with an engine out. Yeah. Uh, but before you do any of this, if you've been, particularly if you've been any kind of sick during this time of period, do a medical self-assessment uh, like Brent Blue suggests. Make sure that you're really as healthy as you think you are and and healthy enough to return to flight. Sounds like good advice. Uh, I'm I'm optimistic that we will weather this craziness and that uh, eventually things will come back to something like normal. Um, in in the uh, episode that we recorded recently that we haven't posted yet, though, we did talk about at the time Sun and Fun was still planned to be held uh, on its normal dates, um, and uh, I think most everybody in the aviation world knows now that uh, Sun and Fun has been postponed uh, from its usual dates to some tentative dates in early May. Um, and time will tell whether that even happens. Um, I, I, I'm I'm kind of dubious personally, but you know, um, they're smart people at Sun and Fun, and they'll figure out what's safe and wise, and and so forth. I'm, I'm hoping sincerely that they're able to find a way and dates to uh, to keep this on the schedule, because I can only imagine how financially devastating not having Sun and Fun would be for the Sun and Fun, Inc. people and the uh, programs that they uh, support. uh, Oh, there's no question. Yeah. 
No question, and I'm sympathetic to that particular issue. The problem is that that's just one of millions of stories like that. Um, it, this is financially devastating to everybody. And, oh, and yeah. We kind of all need to take our hits and, and, I don't know, take our medicine? I don't know. Um, yeah, just kind of be calm and, 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 uh, and uh, accept that a bad thing is happening and we're going to make the best of it, and almost all of us are going to come out the other side just fine. Um, but here we go. Well, there's been a lot of stuff. I'm sorry, Jim, go ahead. I was just going to say there's good news and bad news when it comes to Sun and Fun. The good news is they use the venue for other events throughout the year. The bad news is they use the venue for other things throughout the year. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, Sun and Fun has been working real hard and with some success, I understand, um, in terms of broadening their financial base, if you will, their fundraising base. Um, And so to that extent, hopefully this won't be as bad as it would be if, if the, if Sun and Fun, I mean, and the Sun and Fun fly-in certainly is, as I understand it, their number one source of income. Oh, I have no but, doubt about that. Yeah, but uh, it's no longer their only, and so you know, I I hope they do. Obviously, hope they they come through, but a lot of people are being hurt by this, and 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 you got to do the right thing about scheduling and and so. Well, there's been a whole lot of stuff that uh, I'm I shouldn't say stuff. Uh, event organizers who've announced. That uh, they're going to postpone, only to come back later and say, "Sorry, we're canceling." Uh, yeah, no. The I mean, Aircraft Electronic Association they announced uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago that they were going to postpone their upcoming convention in Nashville. Now it's canceled. Yeah, Aero Friedrichshafen in Germany is canceled. It's been formally uh, canceled. AEA. Yeah, yeah. The word came out yesterday. Hmm, I missed that. Yeah. I mean, take my word for it. I know this is the day job. My day job is in the events, the larger events world, not just aviation. And, uh, um, you know, whatever it was two weeks or so ago, um, we went from, you know, from basically over the span of like a three or four day period, the entire events industry shut down for the next two to three months at least. I mean, they basically, they called us, everybody, everything got canceled. And we're all just now, you know, all of us who work as freelancers in the event world are, are now have our calendars empty for at least the next two to three months. Yeah. And we've been told to expect probably through the summer and maybe longer. So, yeah, um, Sun and Fun made some good, finally made some good choices. Um, and I, I applaud them and uh, I, I wish them the best, truly. Um, but there's a lot of people in the same kind of situation these days and uh, we'll just kind of all hang in there i guess anyways um i think we're going to wrap this thing up and uh i just want to thank you guys for coming out on a on short notice uh, for a, a very special episode <laughs> and it and it didn't even involve involve blossom <laughs> uncontrolled airspace uh let's see now uh it, just by way of an abbreviated thank you uh that's uh, uh jeb burnside a freelance aviation writer and editor uh, who serves as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine thank you jeb i appreciate your coming out this morning no problem um and uh, dave higdon an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the u.s editor for london's ab buyer magazine uh david thank you very much uh, we'll, we'll all get back in the swing of things later on about talking about what we're working on but uh for now just uh, thanks for coming out and uh, and i'm jack Hodge private pilot freelance writer and digital media producer uh this has been a special episode uh let me know <laughs> you you know you guys already know i have no idea what number this is um but uh we just wanted to kind of get out there and and say hi and maybe lighten your load a little bit and maybe give you a little bit of uh, of uh, of uh, guidance or whatever so anyways i guess that's it uh we're just gonna wrap this one up i think thanks <laughs>